Good morning. Welcome to Ironworks Church. I am Joshua Olson. I am the Director of Congregational Care here. Um, and I just want to say thank you for joining us and choosing to worship with us this morning. Um, I believe there might be some guests here with us. Um, and these guests might be a little bit shorter than our normal uh, congregational uh, members here. Uh, are there any kids here with us this morning? Yes, awesome. I am so glad that you are here. Um, this week, as Ramon um, uh, mentioned earlier, is what we affectionately call uh, Doodle Sunday, and our kids stay with us throughout the whole service. And so, kids, um, we have some, uh, some things for you during the sermon, um, and if you are able to, one, listen very carefully, making sure that all of you are listening very carefully. Two, if you're able to stay quiet, you can whisper a question to your mom or dad. Otherwise, mouths zipped and locked, okay? So listen carefully, stay quiet, only whisper questions to your parents, try to sit still, and four, I'm going to be giving you uh, four doodles to draw in your guide. And if you are able to do those four things, and uh, at the end of the service, you will be able to take your doodle guide, show your drawings, and get a prize at the end of the service. Does that sound good? All right. Um, would all of you please stand with me as you are able um, and listen carefully as we hear from the book that we love. James? Nope. Romans 9, 13 to 26. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? Or who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels which vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he has called, not only from the Jews, but, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people I will call my people. Her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. 
And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. I don't know about you, but this sounds harsh and even capricious. Honestly, if this is true, then how can God be good or just? Well, Paul anticipates this reaction, and so he asks rhetorically, What? Is there any injustice with God? And his answer, a resounding, absolutely not. By no means is God unjust. Kids, this is your first drawing, all right? I want you to draw Jacob and Esau and a hand pointing at Jacob. So does anyone know what Jacob and Esau might look like? Any of our kids? No? No? Okay. Does, does any of our kids might know what Jacob or Esau might look like? Yes. Terrified? Maybe. Uh, at some point in their lives, I know they must have been terrified. Yes, back there. Yes, you. I th- thank you, yes. Um, I think you nailed it. So Esau is kind of like Bigfoot. Um, he's hairy. He's, a hairy. he's hairy and he's got, and he's, not only is he like Bigfoot, but he's like a red-headed Bigfoot. So he's, he's got red hair and he's, got, he's just hairy all over. Um, he's a very hairy guy. Um, he liked to go out and hunt. Um, yeah, just, just a, a beastly guy. And Jacob, he was more of a quiet guy. Um, He liked to kind of hang out, read books and things like that, stay at home. Um, And he was very smooth shaven. So draw, sorry, draw one, one person, very hairy with red hair, and draw the other person nice, clean shaven, maybe reading a book. And then a hand pointing at Jacob, the clean shaven guy. All right, good. If Paul is right, and there is no injustice with God, how can it say, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated? That is the question. So what I want us to do is I want us to briefly look at the story of Jacob and Esau. Um, So I'm going to be reading from uh, from Genesis chapter 25 and, and following um, various uh, passages there. Um, it says, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. 
And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So God, even when Jacob and Esau are in their mommy's belly, in the womb of Rebekah, God says that the younger or the older is going to serve the younger. God is turning upside down the traditional way of things. Normally, it would be the younger would serve the older. And God is saying, no, I'm going to, I'm going to turn the culture upside down and say that the older will serve the younger. And then it goes on and says, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red in all his body like a hairy cloak. See, you got it. You nailed it. Um, So they called his name Esau. And afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So he was called Jacob. So as you can see, from the very beginning, these brothers were kind of fighting. They're duking it off. Who's, who's going to be the most important? And from the beginning, God pointed his finger at Jacob and said, I choose Jacob. So that's their beginning. We're going to fast forward in their lives a little bit further, and it says this, Uh, One time, Jacob was cooking some stew, and Esau came in from the open country, and he was famished. And he said to Jacob, oh, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I am famished. Jacob replied, well, you can have some stew, but first, sell me your birthright. Well, I'm about to die, so what good is a birthright to me anyway? So Jacob said, swear to me. And so Esau swore an oath to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate and drank, and he got up and left. And then the scripture says, Esau despised his birthright. So in this story, we see how these boys, they grow up and they continue to fight. Uh, they both are pretty awful human beings. If you, if you look at their stories, they're both pretty awful people. Um, Jacob tricks his brother, uh, manipulates him, deceives him. Uh, later on, he's going to boldly lie to his very own father and deceive his father. And he steals Esau's birthright, and not only his birthright, but his blessing. And Esau is a very foolish and short-sighted and very dramatic and is willing to give up his birthright for a bowl of porridge or stew. This would be like selling your entire portfolio, your retirement portfolio for one meal. Like, it's just not smart. Not wise. In case you were thinking about doing that, 
I highly recommend not selling your retirement portfolio for a meal. Just, just trust me on it, okay? Um, so how does, God, how does Paul defend God's interaction with Jacob and Esau? Well, he does so by quoting what I hope is a familiar passage to all of us here because we looked at it last week. Paul defends God by quoting Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. In there, Moses cries out to God, show me your glory. And the Lord's response is, I will have all my goodness pass before you and proclaim my name, Yahweh. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. All right, so you might be kind of like, okay, I might be following you, but I'm not quite, what does this have to do with Jacob and Esau? Well, as we pointed out, the pattern mimics how God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. At the burning bush, God told Moses, when Moses was like, hey, um, this is all great that you're giving me this mission and you're telling me to go like rescue the people from Egypt and slavery. Who should I tell them that's sending me there? Like, who, what's your name? I just want to know your name so I can share it with other people. And God says, I am who I am. I am sends you. The one who self-exists, the one who is self-sustaining, the one who is completely independent or completely not dependent on anything outside of himself. I am who I am. And the Lord, following this pattern, I am who I am, says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And so we said that basically what God is saying is I am completely free to choose who I will have mercy on and who I will have compassion on. It does not depend on anyone or anything outside of me. I decide who will have mercy and who will have compassion. So, kids, this is doodle number two. I want you to draw the burning bush, all right? And if you need some help, there is a coloring page earlier in the worship guide that has a burning bush. So you can look at that and maybe get some ideas. Draw a burning bush and from the burning bush, have it say like in a little uh, uh, cloud, I am mercy. I am mercy. God is mercy. And so... What Paul is trying to say is that God is absolutely free. He's not dependent on anything. His mercy is free. And this is exactly what Paul says in the very next verse, in verse 16. Look at it. He says, so then, 
It depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So what Paul is saying is when God points his hand at Jacob, it's not because Jacob is any better than Esau. They are both pretty terrible people. But God because, it is because God chooses to show mercy to Jacob. He sets his affection on Jacob, even though he doesn't deserve it. He wants Jacob to be the one through whom the promised one will come. God just says, you don't deserve it, Jacob and Esau. Neither of you deserve mercy. But Jacob, I will show you mercy. Paul then turns his attention to another character in the Old Testament. Uh, he turns his attention to Pharaoh. All right, who knows who Pharaoh is? Do, do, do. Uh, yes, behind the pillar there. <laughs> yep. He kept the Israelites as slaves. Yes. And what was his title other than Pharaoh? What, did he, what, what kind of position did he have? You can, you can uh, pass it on to someone else. Would you like to, would you, would you like to phone a friend? We can phone, okay. Uh, yes. What position did Pharaoh have? He was a king. You remember of, of king of what kingdom? Egypt, yes. So Pharaoh was the king of Egypt who took the Israelites and made them slaves. And he made them slaves with absolutely harsh conditions and then when he noticed that they were getting too numerous, he attempted to kill the Israelites' babies. Um, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a vote. Who says that this is good? This is a good thing to do. You know, kill babies. Okay, great. No one except for some people who are trying to be silly. Um, how many says this is bad, bad, enslaving people and killing babies? You guys are so smart. Okay. Yes, it is absolutely 100% bad. And so when Paul says, for this very purpose, I've raised Pharaoh up that I might show my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And then he goes on and says, and and God will have mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. What Paul is saying is that God can either show mercy to a sinner and forgive their sin and adopt them into his family, or he can absolutely, justly, and rightly pronounce judgment on the evil things that they have done. God chooses to show mercy and he also chooses to judge and show justice. And so Pharaoh, he judged and he hardened Pharaoh's heart. It wasn't because Pharaoh was going to do nice things. 
Pharaoh was already doing evil things, and God shut him up in that evil and continued him on that course towards ultimate judgment. But on Jacob, even though this guy, he tricked his brother, he lied to his father, deceived people, God says, I'm going to show mercy to Jacob. And you might be thinking, you know, this doesn't really sound fair. It doesn't sound fair. And you're right. It isn't fair. It isn't fair that God would show mercy to an evil person who deceived and tricked people and lied his way into an inheritance and blessing. How can God be just and justify someone like that? Well, we'll return to that question a little bit later. For now, what Paul says is it's God's glory to show mercy. It is his glory to judge evil. And just as God is, I am, he is mercy. He is righteousness and justice. He is love and he is compassion. And so God glorifies his own name by showing mercy to whomever he wills and judging whomever he wills. Paul then expects another response. Well, if that's the case, like, who can resist God's will? Good question. Um, the authors of the Westminster Confession of Faith anticipated this along with Paul. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3, paragraph 1. This is a modernized version. Um, for those of you who are, like, they have the Westminster Confession memorized, it might be, the wording might be a little bit different for you, okay? Um, but this is the modernized version of the Westminster Confession of Faith, and it says this, God, from all eternity, did, by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatever comes to pass. Yet he ordered all things in such a way that he is not the author of sin, nor does he force his creatures to act against their wills. Neither is the liberty or, or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather they are established. God's sovereignty does not disrupt your will. You are free as creatures to choose. And we can get into all the different kind of weird things that go into that, but for now, just understand that, that God is absolutely sovereign and you are absolutely responsible for your choices. Um, in Ephesians 1, it says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of God who works all things according to the counsel of his, of his will. And in Isaiah 45, 6 and 7, it says, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west there is none besides me, says the Lord. I am 
the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord God who does all of these things. God is absolutely sovereign. He is the ruler over all creation. All of creation, all of time, all of history are decreed and ordained by God. But in God's infinite wisdom and power, he is able to control all of history and create and uphold the law of contingencies, second causes, and each and every one of your wills. That is the awesome God whom we worship. As Paul will later say in Romans chapter 11, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. Our God is awesome. And Paul illustrates this with a vivid imagery of a potter with clay. The potter forms and fashions the clay into vessels as he wants or needs. And each vessel carries out their individual purpose. So, kids, doodle drawing number, number three. There we go. <clears throat> doodle drawing number three. Draw someone making a clay pot. Now remember, a potter has this spinning wheel they have, a, they have a spinning wheel, they have wet clay, and then they form and shape the clay into a pot on the spinning wheel. So Paul uses this imagery of this, of this potter shaping clay. One, one vessel he uses for an honorable use. So it's going to sit at the table right here and be used for an honorable use. And yet you can also form and fashion a clay vessel that might hold waste, like a garbage can. They're both made out of the same clay, but they have different purposes. Um, another way of looking at this, Paul uses the, the illustration of a, of a potter. We can also look at it as an author of a book. An author writes the book, and they know all the details, and they plan out all of the details in the book. But a good author is going to build characters and allow them to act according to their development within the story. There may be twists and turns, and the characters grow and morph and change throughout the book. And the characters are not all the same. Some make choices that lead down a dark and evil path, and others that lead down maturity and blessing. The author knows, and the author chooses, but the characters in the book, in a sense, live that out within the book, within the story of the book. God has written the story, and we are the actors, the characters in the book, living it out. He has planned it, but we are active, and we choose, and we are responsible. 
As most illustrations do, this one does break down if you go too far within it. But the idea remains the same. God is the author of history. He knows the end from the beginning. He has written out our story, and yet we live it out each and every day. We make choices according to our development, and some make choices that lead toward a dark and evil path. And some of us, God intervenes and changes our hearts so that we find mercy and we find blessing. Does not the author of the book have the right to make some characters recipients of mercy and others not? And similarly, does not the potter have no right over the clay to make out of some the same lump of clay, one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, Paul says, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand. God is just in the condemnation of sinners. We have to understand this. God is just when he condemns sin. He would not be good if he didn't. And he is just when he is merciful and forgiving of sinners. Both are aspects of his glory and both are made manifest in his decrees. And friends, ultimately, what God is desiring as he's writing out this book, he desires to show mercy to persons from every tribe in language, in people, in nation. His mercy is like a little seed. And we plant the one individual seed in the ground. And it grows and it bears fruit. And each of those pieces of fruit have a seed. And we can take those seeds and plant more. And then they grow and they bear fruit. And then we can take the fruit from there and plant more. And it bears fruit And it grows and it grows. And it multiplies and it multiplies until persons from every tribe, every language, every people, every family, and every nation are recipients of God's mercy. This is the way Paul says it. God has called people not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, Those who were not my people, I will now call my people. Those who were not loved, I will call my beloved. In the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, now you will be called the sons of the living God, adopted into his family. So kids, for your drawing number four, I want you to draw this, draw different types of people gathered around God's throne. So you can have tall people and short people. You can have a boy and girls. You can have young people like you guys, or you can have old people like me and some other people around here. Um, And you can have people who have darker skin and people who have lighter skin. 
All different types of people. This is God's plan. He wants all different types of people to gather around his throne, to be recipients of his mercy, to be called his people, to be called children of the living God. So how is God just when he shows mercy to evil people who have done evil things? How is God good? How can God justify sinners and be just? Well, I believe the answer is found in one of the more difficult passages of this text, verse 22. And it says, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand. And Ironworks Church, what I want us to understand is that God became the vessel of wrath. Jesus, our Messiah, entered into time and space and became the vessel of wrath prepared for the destructive forces of evil and the wrath of God against evil. Why? So that, in order that, he might make known the riches of his glory for those of us who are vessels of mercy, whom he chose not because of who we are or what we have done, but because God is good and he is merciful and he is loving and caring. So we could, we could take this verse and change it ever so slightly to say, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience a vessel of wrath, namely Jesus Christ, prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand. Here at this table, we remember and celebrate Jesus becoming the potter's clay shaped into a vessel of wrath, so that you and I and all of us could be vessels of mercy. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are awesome, and you make yourself known to us. You, you have demonstrated your power and your glory and your majesty through, through bringing up kings and tearing down kings. Through, uh, through raising up Pharaoh and tearing his kingdom down from allowing the Israelites to be enslaved and then setting them free forever. God, you have shown us your mercy and your glory in the person of Jesus Christ. You have shown us who you are as he died on the cross bearing our sins, taking your wrath, our judgment upon himself so that we could receive your mercy. 
God, we are so incredibly grateful for the mercy that you have shown each of us. And I pray that you would continue to allow your mercy to multiply as the seeds get planted into the ground and they bear fruit. May that mercy spread till it covers the entire face of the earth. God, thank you for GTI Hope, where our brothers and sisters are planting those seeds of mercy. Thank you for uh, Hope Co. in Tanzania, where those seeds of mercy are being planted. God, thank you for all of those who have received your call to go to the nations and are planting those seeds of mercy. God, we worship and adore you as the king whose mercy is made manifest in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.